to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Buds All Day podcast. I'm Sats Mundine here with Lebda's Legacy. How's it going, everyone? And today we are going to do part two of our How to Fix the Leafs series today. So we brought in another special guest. We have uh, one of my favorite follows on Leafs Twitter, and that is the legendary Noah Banks. How you doing, bro? Gotta keep it in my ball, man. Noah! It's on the kick. It's on the kick. It's oh, I'm doing great. How are you guys? I mean, we've definitely been better. It's been a tough couple of weeks since since our boys kind of proved that they were pretty fraudulent. Um, now we are recording right after after that Vegas win, so it it was definitely a bit of an uplifting boost to our weeks. And and you know we've been enjoying the Euros, but still kind of wallowing in the sadness of that uh, of that Leafs Leafs loss. But before we do uh, get into how we kind of want to fix the Leafs, just like last time with our with our man Dirtbag Daddy, we are, we're just going to do a quick intro into you. So why don't you tell everybody, uh, you know, how long you've been a Leaf fan, what kind of got you into it, and yeah, what, what really sucked you in here? Yeah, so I've been a Leaf fan my whole life. Like, of course, like there's levels to being a fan. So I really like jumped it all in around the, the Kessel trade. I remember scrolling through youtube one night and dangles kessel video showed up in my feed and i remember watching that and i think that was right around when grade nine started for me like six years ago or whatever then instant like just became a huge fan from there and he has his podcast i remember it got me involved on twitter and i spent a few years kind of watching instead of really tweeting stuff and then oh like now it's just i'm i'm too in- invested i can't get out now so yeah, I think we're kind of the same way there. Similar similar timeline. And uh, yeah, those uh, Colton or Fraser McLaren teams, that's when I really got active on Twitter and stuff like that. And then been sucked in ever since. And just that, you know, addiction that I can't quite kick yet. But honestly, aside from, you know, all the failure and embarrassment that they've caused me, I mean, it is a pretty fun ride. It's a fun ride. It's definitely an exciting ride. There's ups and downs, many more downs than ups, but... I, I do feel kind of bad for you, Noah, because you say you got into it in the Kessel era, which was like the start. <laughs> Actually, it was like midway through the shittiest era that we've ever oh, been a part man. of. At least Lebda and I, we got to uh, we got to experience those early 2000s runs with Gary Roberts, McGillney, Sundin, and those boys. But <laughs> you got to see Dion Phaneuf and Frazier McLaren. So, oh, my with goodness. With that said, you, <laughs> you have been blessed a bit with, with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, although they've, you know, they've really disappointed us. But we have gotten to see a few playoff runs over the last few years. Now, this year was the first one that really, like, they've all stung. Like, Boston stung, Columbus stung. But this one was the one that, it just crushed us the most. So so what do you think, what are your thoughts on that series? Where do you think things went wrong? How angry are you with this team right now? Well, I think the reason that it's leaving such, like, a hole in my heart right now is because I feel like this was really the first year that they were, like, supposed to win I feel like you can make uh arguments where all oh, like that maybe they, they weren't supposed to beat Washington and Boston finished ahead of them and it's kind of 50 50 with Columbus like this was the year where it's like no like you're by far the better team you should pull this off and so I guess like I'm not like mad like I I'd say the f- word frustrated would be probably best because 
you know, like I just, I really believed that this was our year. Like I, I believe I bought into what they were selling and I just thought we were having a deep run. Like, I don't know, I guess this year more than previous ones, I feel like I loved the team more. I felt like there were some years where in the past where we're arguing about X, Y, and Z and oh, which defenseman sucks the most. And we have all these issues and we were talking about that every day, but man, I just, I really believed in this group. And so I'm just frustrated. Like, this was our year and uh, they kind of, <laughs> they they pooped the bed like i don't know like yeah they they definitely messed all over themselves in that one and and i think the word frustrated is a really good one it's kind of one that uh, me and sats go back to all the time it's just it's annoying it's frustrating because yeah like you said like we didn't have Cody Cece on our defense like last year we didn't have Ron Hainsey like years in past like we had Jake Muzzin, TJ Brody, Morgan Riley in the playoffs was fantastic. You know, he is what he is in the regular season, but he he really stepped up and played so, so well for us. So just that classic kind of narrative around the lease was gone this year. There was a few times in the regular season where you're like, oh, no, like this team's different. They're doing different things like last year's Leafs or a couple of years ago's Leafs. Like they would have lost that game. They would have, you know, embarrassed themselves even further and then. You know, we had our two-star men, which are the highlight of, of our team, you know, the best part of our team. They decided not to show up, and we sit here and lose a terrible series to Montreal that we had no real business losing. And now we see Montreal, like, pretty playing in pretty tough against Vegas. Like, I know we would have faced Tampa instead of Vegas in this round, but, like, the Leafs had a cakewalk to, to at least the semis. And just to watch them, yeah, like you said, poop all over themselves, it just, it just does sting that little bit extra as compared to years past. I got to say, you guys are kind of friendlier than I am because I i don't even think I'd use the word frustrated. I would say like livid, distraught, disgusted. Like it was putrid. They blew a 3-1 lead and seeing Montreal just cakewalk over Winnipeg, a team that any analytically minded person would say was absolute garbage. Uh, and then, you know, hanging in there with Vegas and seeing like exactly like you said, Levda, like we would have faced Tampa, but everybody said what garbage the North division was and we're seeing Montreal's kind of sticking in there. So it's, I had a debate with someone on Twitter the other day who was kind of saying that we shouldn't be as mad this year. Like look back on the Kessel years and all of that when like, it's, it's not as, as bad as those times. And while I would agree that there's definitely more like to be positive about at the same time, you have to say this is more frustrating than any Kessel year I've ever had because and in, in the Kessel years, it's like, oh, no, we, we were hoping to squeak into the playoffs. We finished fifth last in the league. Like, whatever. That sucks. But, like, like Noah said, when you, you I expected so much of this team. I, I, was, I was like, anything less than the semifinals is disgusting for me. And to just see the two guys in Matthews and Marner that I had so much faith in all year just – just make a mess out of this entire playoffs. It just, it just hurt more than any, any Leafs loss that I can remember in, in my entire life. So in order to, you know, to get over this disappointment, the boys are going to have to win us around at some point. So, so no, what do you think is the biggest thing that that needs to change or that needs to be fixed in order for this team to finally do that? Well, something that I kind of have been hyper-focused on since the loss was the, the flexibility of the roster, you know, um, I think there's a couple points on it. Like um, I was a bit frustrated with the way that like you have um, their depth guys and they could never really like rise above their, um, their role. Like you'd have like Simmons and Thor were great fourth liners, but some nights you just need them to step up into a, a higher role in the lineup. And I feel like we'd always get a hundred percent out of them, but I'm watching teams like Vegas and, 
um, Montreal, and they're getting these guys who are given 110%, and they're just able to add that little extra bit. And I don't think we have that where um, I just wish maybe we had some guys in the third or fourth line that can maybe jump into the top six for a game and who can elevate themselves and elevate their role. I just feel like we really lack that this year. You know, you're looking at guys in the fourth line and like, man, when Thornton was out there, I'm like, they're not scoring a goal here. Like this is like, nothing's happening. So like, I think there's a lot of different things that you could say, like lost in the series. I think it's really easy to say Matthews and Marner kind of, that's the reason. Like if you get a goal or two out of them, like probably talking about a Leafs win, but I just kind of went the other direction. And I feel like if you just had a little bit more on the bottom six that can move up and down and you get more flexibility, maybe it's Willie can play center or Dermot played a bit in the top four in the regular season. Like you get a bit more of that and maybe he's more ready for when Muzzin goes down. I just really feel like the flexibility and the lack of that just killed them. So those are definitely some good points about flexibility. And I think it really did, you know, hurt the team. So what what do you think you that the Leafs should be looking to do to kind of gain that flexibility for next season I think they well I didn't that defensive third line idea I don't think works with a team like the Leafs because I feel like you just you have so much up front like just try to like outscore your opponent like I feel like we couldn't get a goal out of our third or fourth line like you just weren't scoring so I'd like to see a few more um, guys who are able to score maybe like less Ilya Mikheyev maybe push him down in the lineup a little bit more because you're not getting a goal out of him and I just feel like um a lot of these problems get fixed if you kind of draft better. I think if you had a couple guys that are maybe pushing you on nine two five k contracts and who are able to play those roles, I just don't think we have those guys right now. And I'm not really sure how you get them except like lucking out in the fourth and fifth and sixth rounds of the draft. But if you could pull a few of those guys together, maybe someone like Adam Brooks steps up or Robertson in a in a small lineup role, maybe like fourth line second PP like just kind of like a depth role, but it's like he gets out there with Spezza and they can produce a little bit of offense, maybe something like that. But again, like it is easy to say, like you get Matthews and Marner, if they're going, like, I just feel like a little bit more flexibility would have helped them out. Maybe try some more things during the regular season. I don't think we changed the top four at all, all season and Muzzin goes down. And I think that was Dermot's first game in the top four. Like if you, practice that a little bit more, maybe move someone down to elevate him five or six games. He'd be more comfortable there or play Nylander at center a little bit so that he's ready for when Tavares goes down, he can jump in. I just think you have to try more things and experiment. Like we didn't really know what we had in Brooks. And I'd just like to see a little bit more out of those depth guys being moved up and down the lineup. Yeah, for sure. I definitely kind of agree with that. I, I've always kind of said, and I've said it in previous podcasts, where I think the reason we lost this series versus Montreal was because Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner did not show up and be the type of caliber players they are. They demand a certain amount of salary, and that means that the rest of your lineup is going to suffer a little bit because those guys are so good and so um, are and paid so well that then, yeah, your third, fourth line is not going to be as good as a team who doesn't have those top end stars. But again, like you said, like we definitely could have helped ourselves out with a little bit more depth scoring. I think, unfortunately, we got Joe Thornton a year too late. Um, he, he was pretty good last year in San Jose. I didn't hate the signing at the time. Like it did look like a good signing. It's just when you have a guy who's, you know, got that reputation and that much kind of pedigree behind him he's guaranteed a roster spot unless you have a coach with you know really really 
steel stomach, but uh, Sheldon Keefe clearly didn't do that. And same with Wayne Simmons. So you just have those guys where, again, you talked about flexibility. You just don't have flexibility in those two guys. And, you know, yeah, they're fine fourth liners, but when John Tavares goes out, that's your second line center. That's your biggest kind of luxury piece that the Leafs have. Like, again, I just mentioned it with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and John Tavares. You can add to that, even William Nylander to an extent. Like, when you have a top four group of guys that make that much money and that, you know, sure, they deserve it, but... Your team's going to suffer other places. Our depth's going to suffer. Suffer, And you also mentioned the draft. And I think we're seeing that kind of gap between where we had those tanking years and we got all these high-end stars in the draft. And, you know, we're filtering them through. And then we had that period where we just didn't draft well under Mark Hunter. And now you kind of see the prospects starting to arrive when Kyle Dubas took over the drafts and stuff like that. And they're starting to maybe filter their way up to the team. But we're still probably you know, a year or two from those guys actually being able to push for those top four spots. So, yeah, we are, we're in a bit of a, a tough little spot there. Some of it our own doing in free agency because we brought in veterans who can play fourth line minutes, but they just don't have the wheels or the legs anymore to jump up in the roster. And we were just lacking a little bit of those um, kind of draft picks that could come in and make an impact for us, aside from, you know, our Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Lilligren, who are, you know, those higher end talent guys. I, I think that's actually a vital, vital part of why we haven't had good depth is because if you look at those, those three drafts that Lou Lamorello ran with Mark Hunter, it like outside of the, uh, out, outside of the top end talent, the Matthews, the Marner, all those guys, like they got so little out of those drafts. Like they, I remember they traded the pick that became Travis connecting to, you know, to trade back for more picks. And, and with the three picks, they ended up getting Dermot, you know, decent enough player, Jeremy Bracco and Martin Zierkals, who nobody's no, like, I don't know. Does he play in Denmark, Slovakia? I don't know. Cause he's, he's very irrelevant. And it's the same thing for the next, you know, the next couple of drafts that the Leafs had, and they just weren't able to fill out the depth of the team. Like you said, Robertson, he wasn't even able to contribute yet, but he should be able to provide us that value next year on an entry-level deal. You got Sandine, who's going to Lilligren, hopefully. But if you, if over the last couple of years, if you were able to, I don't know, instead of what's his name, uh, Igor Korshkov that they drafted 34th overall ahead of Debrinkin, if you throw a Debrinkin into the lineup, that just changes everything. So when you are going to employ the strategy that the Leafs do, where you're paying four superstars so much money you are going to have to hit on some some low-salary players. And we were lucky enough to do so with Spezza, but they really weren't able to do that, you know, around the rest of the fringes of the roster. Like, Sandine, sure, he came and contributed, but they really didn't have many cheap guys that were actually contributing. It's going to be a problem that continues for the least as long as they're going to ride with these, you know, the, the core four. And as much as we kind of talked about in the past, how we wouldn't mind trading Marner for, you know, to kind of spread some salary around, it doesn't look like they're going to do that. So I'm wondering, like, what, what do you guys think they, they can really do to, to free up money for the depth? Do you think, Noah, do you think it is like a necessity that they abandon this core four strategy, or do you think they can move money around the rest of the roster and kind of still distribute it throughout the, throughout the depth? You see, I might be in a bit of the minority with this one, but the more I think about it, I genuinely think that you can win a Stanley Cup with the four guys making half the cap. I just dream scenario, and I know that this is kind of what they're banking on, is I look at the first like 20, 25 games of Matthews and Marner season, just when they it felt like they were scoring every game, Matthews was just on fire, like doesn't matter who you put on him. He's getting a goal, maybe two. And Marner would three-point night. And then you look at the last 20 games from Tavares and Nylander and just how explosive they were. And they were firing on all cylinders. 
And I just think if you have those four players link up at the exact same time, and they're both, they're all four of them are putting up point per game in the playoffs and every each, like they're guaranteed two goals just from those guys alone every single night. Like, I don't know how many times you're going to lose a seven game series and you might even just win the cup with that. And then your depth guys just kind of playing even like, so I think you can do it. I think they got to give it one more year because I look at something like OKC in basketball where they have three MVP caliber players and it doesn't work and they lose them all. And then they all become, they all go on to win MVPs. And you're like, man, like if they had just stuck together a little bit longer and ridden it out, maybe they win a, a championship. I just feel like you have stars win you games in the NHL and stars win championships. And eventually they just break through Crosby broke through and Ovi broke through. And I just like, it sucks to say, but I think you got to give it one more year to see if you can do it. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think there's an issue with the the top four kind of strategy in general. Uh, there's no reason why you have four highly paid stars on your team, especially when you have what the Leafs have, where you have two very, very, very good centermen. And then two really good wingers, you know, one being potentially a top 10 in the NHL or supposed to be a top 10 in the NHL. And the other one, maybe just a little bit below, but a very, very dynamic, explosive, very talented winger as well. The only issue I have, and again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it it really is Mitch Marner. And I I did touch on it the last podcast, so I'll I'll keep this a little bit briefer than I did back then. Um, But just for the sake of the argument, like Mitch Marner has a big hole in his game. He cannot score goals and he does not have a good shot. So when you have a guy that's supposed to be this top 10 winger in the NHL, yes, he's a facilitator and yes, he needs to pass to Austin Matthews. But you see what the Montreal Canadiens did to Austin Matthews where they're double teaming him, triple teaming him. They're basically trying to give him no space. If Mitch Marner can shoot the puck and is a genuine threat to score goals, that opens up space for Austin Matthews too. And we're probably not talking about these two being the biggest frauds in sports history right now. Like it, it, it does kind of change things. So that's where I'm just really struggling with this specific Leafs top four. Now, Mitch Marner could go this summer, work out a bunch, put on a little bit of weight, really focus on a shot, come back next year and be a genuine shooting threat. Man, would I bet on that? No, but it, it could happen. And then this whole argument is completely different. But when you do have a player with a big gap in their game, kind of like Mitch Marner, it, it does make me question this specific Leafs, Leafs top four kind of unit. I think I, I really agree with both of you guys. I think there's definitely a way that they could win with this specific with this specific top four if you know if they have more flexibility. Kind of like Noah said, not even just with guys you can bring up the lineup, but moving Marner on Tavares wing, if things are getting tough, moving Nylander up there and kind of being able to spread the scoring around. So maybe, maybe Marner's weakness isn't, isn't as big against second defense pairings, kind of things like that. But I do agree with you, Lebda, that Marner's weakness, is, it, it is, it is prevalent. It's uh, to bring it back to basketball. It's kind of like DeMar DeRozan. Like he's a great player. He's, but, and he's unquestionably was a top 30 player in the league, but at the same time, it was hard to win in the playoffs with him because he didn't have that three point shot it's a glaring weakness in his game. Like it's not a, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it is kind of prevalent where if one of your main, main key cogs has that glaring weakness, it can really bite you. So where I would kind of stand with it is, is I'll keep this short too. Cause we did talk about it on the last podcast, but Mitch Marner is making 6.2 million in real money after, after July 1st. I think the Leafs should at least explore the trade See if they could replace him for, you know, six to seven million dollars for another first line player and get additional assets to spread and build that depth that Noah was talking about. But that's all I'll say about it, because from everything we've heard, everything we've read, it doesn't seem like it seems like the Leafs are going to give it one more kick. 
So I think for the purposes of this podcast, we should kind of look at the more realistic moves they could make. So with that being said, I think the first one, the first big decision Dubas is going to have to make is on Zach Hyman. And from what Elliot Friedman has said, it looks like the sides are pretty far apart. Hyman's probably going to command five to six million over five to six years. And that just seems to be out of the out of the least price range. So so what do you think they should be doing with that, Noah? Um, I think Elliot Friedman said it best. Like sometimes with players, like there's just a stepping off point where the team and the player are so far away from each other and you know they 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 just have to part ways at some point. Like you can't keep these guys forever. And I know it sucks, but like I feel like it's just come to a natural point where Hyman is worth more than the Leafs are willing to pay him. And it's so much more that like, he'd be kind of dumb not to just take the money and run. Like it's, if I'm Hyman and I'm looking at Josh Anderson's contract and I'm going, well, I'm better than Josh Anderson. And he got five and a half over seven years uh, in the cap world. Why can't I command that money or maybe even more? So like if I'm Zach Hyman, I think it's just a, a foregone conclusion that the Leafs just don't have the money to pay me. And, that's fine. I don't think there's any ill will. And I don't think that fans are going to be booing Hyman when he comes back to our barn. And I just feel like at some point you just have to let go. And this just feels like the natural point where he just, he goes somewhere else. And that's, we just take the cap space and try to allocate it somewhere else. Yeah. I think when you look at Zach Hyman, like, like let's not get it wrong. He's a fantastic player. He was a really good Toronto Maple Leaf. He fit in well. Um, I'd love to bring him back, but it, it, there's no way that number is going to work. And he's a guy who's been criminally underpaid his entire career. He's never had a big paycheck in the NHL. So why would you not, if you're Zach Hyman, go after a big, a big deal and, you know, secure, secure that bag, secure your family's future and, you know, still play hockey and try and win. But at, at the same time, like you, you just have to respect the guy who's like, you know what, I'm, I'm underpaid. This is my chance to get a big, big, big contract. And I'm going to go for it. And who who knows who's going to give it to him? Edmonton's dying out for wingers. They could overpay the crap out of him. And he gets to pay for play with McDavid. Like that's just an ideal scenario for Hyman. Leafs aren't going to overpay. The other kind of thing I do want to touch on with Hyman, and I just mentioned it with the Marner thing, where Marner does you know lack that shooting threat and that scoring threat. I think that's another thing that just hindered the Leafs a little bit in the playoffs as well on that Matthews line. Because like we said, Matthews was getting keyed on. He's really the only scoring threat. So I think if the Leafs do you know say all right. Zach Hyman, you're a little bit of our price range. You were great for us. Thank you. Go out and find someone who's a scoring threat that can play on that Marner and Matthews wing. And then you don't necessarily need to move Mitch Marner either because you have another shooter on the other wing. And that'll free up more space for Matthews and Marner to do what they do and give another option for Marner to pass to. So, yeah, I, I think with all that kind of being said, just take it on the chin as Kyle Dubas. Don't overpay the guy. He's 29, plays a real rough and tumble style. Those guys never age well. Maybe he has another amazing, you know, kind of season next year. And we're like, ah, I would have liked to sign him. But, oh, wait, he has six more years on his contract. I'm all right yeah, with it. You know who else had a good first season on his big contract? Milan Lucic. How's that one working out? So I, I just, I'm in full agreement with you guys. I think I was, I was worried during the season I, that they were going to re-sign him and overpay him because it, it always looked kind of like a red flag contract to me with the style he plays, his age, all of that stuff. So because of this first round exit, I think it's made it a lot easier, a lot clearer. It's kind of just going to be like the JBR situation where it was an own rental, no hard feelings, but go and get your money. You're just not going to get it here. So I think it is probably a pretty easy decision for Dubas to make, especially 
when you see guys that that sign later in the in free agency, like Toffoli and and like probably Thomas Tatar will be, who are very skilled guys that for whatever reason slip through the cracks. You want to be able to have like you could probably get a better player than Zach Hyman for three to four million on whatever the equivalent of COVID July fifteen is because I know the season's late, but. But a, a, a few weeks in a free agency, there's going to be that discount there. So I think that is a relatively easy decision for Dubis and Hyman to make. A bit of a more difficult decision is Morgan Riley because, like Lebda mentioned earlier, he 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 had an excellent playoff. So he, he you could argue he was the least best player. He was certainly the one who maybe outside of Alexander Kerfoot stepped up the most from his play in the regular season. Um, and I don't think there's really much arguing that Morgan Riley is clearly a top four defenseman at this point in his career, but he is 27. He's got one year deal left on his deal at $5 million. And he's pro he's one of those minutes eating point getting defensemen. So, you know, he's in line to probably make North of 7 million a year. And I just don't think that's feasible for the Leafs for, for what he offers, especially considering the the talent offensively that they already have and the, the ready-made you know, the, the ready-made replacement in, in Rasmus Sandin. So I think it is going to be a tougher decision to see what the Leafs do with, with Riley this year. Do you, like, they could basically hold on to him as a rental for the year. They could try to extend him or they could try to trade him now. No, what do you think, What if you're Kyle Dubas, what are you trying to do with Morgan Riley this offseason? My biggest thing with Morgan Riley is value. And so that's kind of what I've been kind of preaching a bunch when I'm in the, the trenches discussing this with other people. And I just, I think you trade him because I just think some team will end up giving you more value in the return than Morgan Riley's worth. So, like, I'm not exactly sure what it looks like. I pulled a couple um, trades from the past that I'm like, I kind of be looking at something similar. Like, I really like the Pacioretty deal. Not like it's not apples to apples because of it's a forward versus a defenseman, but I'm pretty sure he was on a one year deal and you get back kind of a young player who can step up in a different role. You get a pick and you get a guy who, of course, is less skilled. So maybe you're moving Riley for a top four defenseman, some a third third line center prospect and a pick or something like that. Or maybe it's like Truba for like a lesser defenseman in Pionk and a first round pick. And maybe it's Barry for Kadri where you're moving a defenseman, bringing in a big time forward and um, something like that. I just think if you can find a team that's willing to give you more value in a trade, uh, for Morgan Riley, maybe with an in extension included. I think that that's the move. Like if he's a leaf next year, I'll be hyped. Like he annoys me a ton with his decision-making, but like I, I watch his playoffs and he's so good and I probably wouldn't complain too much, but I definitely test the market. Um, I got a bit of a theory going on that uh, some teams just going to spend a boatload of assets on Seth Jones. And there's going to be this huge bidding war of like three, four, five teams and, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if that team makes certain players available for Seth Jones and they just miss out on him and they kind of emotionally are looking around and, oh, here's Morgan Riley, kind of a similar type player where you're like big number one defenseman with a little bit of flaws and you kind of were all in on Jones and emotionally just make that trade for Riley and we'll look back on it in a couple of years saying, holy, like that Riley trade really set us up for the future. So I just think if my biggest thing is if you can just get more value back for Riley, whether that's picks, prospects, roster players, or whatever way you go with it, I think just get more value back than he will bring you on the one-year contract, and you just go from there no matter what the return is. Yeah, I think um, 
I've made my feelings clear that I'm all for trading Morgan Riley if it makes sense. Now, one thing I have been thinking about lately when it does come to the Morgan Riley trade is if you have Morgan Riley, who just played very well in the playoffs in a contract year, like that could be a scary, scary player for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I know it's not the greatest asset management, but if you do have a good summer in UFA and you can fill out your top six without trading Morgan Riley, and you have a guy in a contract season, again, looking for that big-time deal. We saw what Zach Hyman did this year in a contract season, like had a career year. Then maybe I do think about keeping him around just with that motivation of the contract. He played well in the playoffs. He could be a really, really great player for the Leafs this year. But then I also flip it around and go, we also saw what he did on the power play and stuff like that. But Rasmus Sandin can step in that. So maybe it is, you know, just getting rid of Riley and allowing Rasmus Sandin to flourish on the power play and play top four minutes. Maybe that's what's best for the team long term and Rasmus Sandin's development. So I am kind of flip flopping in between the idea of all oh, Riley could be, you know, steroid version of Riley this year. And oh, let's move on, maximize assets, get a young player in, see what we really have in Rasmus Sandin this year. And you know, there's also Dougie Hamilton and UFA that, you know, if there's even a there's even a whiff of Dougie Hamilton potentially coming to Toronto, then I'm moving Morgan Riley in a second, even if we don't maximize assets, just to try and clear the cap space. So there's just lots of different variables floating around in my head where I could move them, I could not move them. I don't think I'll be really disappointed either way, but uh yeah, there's lots of interesting things that could happen with that man this summer. You guys both made some really good points. I, I would first point to Noah's idea of a team overpaying which I really do agree with I just think a point getting defenseman we've seen it time and time again they just get paid even regardless of how bad they are defensively especially one that plays first pair minutes like Morgan Riley against top competition now we may find out on a new team that a lot of his offensive numbers were due to playing with the greatest goal scorer of our generation but at the same time NHL GMs aren't smart enough to do that research so you're probably going to get an overpayment from someone And that's kind of where it boils down to me with Morgan Riley is, am I going to trade him just for the sake of trading him and, and like asset management of, Oh, he's got one year left and we're not going to resign him. Just let him go. No, because we're still trying to win a Stanley cup, even though we can't get out of the first round. But if you can get a, a fair deal for Morgan Riley, I think you absolutely have to do it given how much confidence the organization has in Rasmus Sandin. And then even to double down on your point, Lebda, where, if Dougie Hamilton's in the picture, then I don't even need a good return. Like, like if Dougie, if if Dougie Hamilton's talking to teams right now, we've heard from Elliot Freeman that he wants to be as close to home as possible. He's a Toronto boy. He was in the Toronto Maple Leafs hype video. There's a video of him as a kid at the, at the ACC just going ham. So, I think I think Dougie would probably want to come home. And we've seen like if you look at his advanced statistics by by goals above replacement he is in the 97th percentile of defenseman he is an elite first pairing defenseman right shot and it seems like he's probably going to accept a deal similar to what Petrangelo got and at age 27 if you're getting i think i think it would start when he's 28 but if you're getting Doug Hamilton from ages 28 through 35 at 8.5 million I think you just take whatever you can get from Morgan Riley, whether that's a first round pick. If you're just clearing cap space, one deal that I, I really liked this, this was just a hypothetical. I don't even know if Calgary would be interested, but say you are able to convince Dougie Hamilton to come to Toronto. You talk to Calgary and you get a guy like Andrew Manjapani, somebody who's getting two and a half million this year, who can easily replace Zach Hyman. 
and whether that's on the first line or whether he's, you know, giving you that depth that we talk about throughout the third line. But I think ideally for Riley, if we're getting Hamilton, I would like to do a cheap top nine forward and whatever extra future assets you can get that you can either keep for the future or move at the deadline. But I think it is definitely something that the Leafs have to explore. Now, no, I, I know you have some takes on Dougie Hamilton. So how, how would you feel about, uh, about the Leafs going after him? Oh man, I'm all in on Dougie Hamilton. And just like, I, I guess you were talking about like, even if you don't get fair value, one guy I'm looking at right now is Nate Schmidt. Vegas did not get fair value for him last year, but who cares? I have Petrangelo now. So like, I think they got a third. You're definitely getting more than a third round pick for Morgan Riley. Cause I think Schmidt had years left on his deal. So that was a cap move, but man, like just get something for Riley. Uh, I know it's going to start coming to an end. Like he's the longest tenured leaf, but like, Man, you look at the numbers and like Dougie Hamilton is Morgan Riley's offense, but also like elite defensively too. Like he's just, he's, if you're going to pay Morgan Riley like a number one defenseman, like I don't know if that's totally the right move because I do think when you talk about Morgan Riley being a number one, I think he's a number one offensive defenseman. I don't know if he's quite a number one defenseman. And so if you're already shelling out seven or, in that range for a Morgan Riley contract, like, man, like you're a pure angle away from having Dougie Hamilton against the salary cap. Right. Or you could just, you can kind of finagle it that way where, Hey, it's Morgan Riley at five and Justin Hall at two. And man, you're already at 7 million right there. Like that's almost Dougie Hamilton. Like you, I just think like when you have the opportunity to sign Dougie Hamilton, I don't care how you get it done, but you really look into that. And Dougie Hamilton on this Leafs team is just a perfect fit, even more so than Morgan Riley. I know TJ Brody does play that over other side, so Morgan Riley does, you know, does fit there. But Dougie Hamilton, Jake Muzzin is your shutdown first pairing. Like that's the best pairing in the league. I'm not even embarrassed to say that. Like that is hands down like top pairing in the league. And then you have a young guy like Rasmus Sandin, like like we talked about earlier, we're very high. The Leafs are clearly very high on him. If you can give him a partner like TJ Brody, who we saw what he did with Riley this year. He's just always there to cover any offensive mistakes. He's so good positionally. If you do give up a two-on-one because Rasmus Sandin, you know, gets a bit of a moment of youth in his head and goes kind of flying into the offensive zone when it's not the smartest time, you have TJ Brody back there to break up the two-on-one with his, like, with his stick or something like that. So... Just what Dougie Hamilton does to this, you know, Leafs decor one is enough to make me, you know, almost give up anything for him. But then, like, when you think about it, too, like, if you keep Morgan Riley, you're not going to re-sign him. And even if you do re-sign him, it's that like Morgan Riley's going to get close to what Dougie Hamilton's going to get this year. Probably doesn't deserve it as much, but it's going to be within a million or two, right? So just from a pure number standpoint, too, like upgrading, you know, Morgan Riley for Dougie Hamilton going forward. They're, you know, very similar age. Dougie Hamilton's just a much better defender and he still provides offense. Like it, it just makes so much sense. So if there's any interest from Dougie Hamilton, I mean, just just get it done and figure out the rest later, in my opinion. Wholeheartedly agree. Like if he is if he's willing to do to take a deal with the Leafs, you absolutely have to do it. That Nate Schmidt comparable is actually very good. And I do agree we would probably get a fair, like I think I don't think the Leafs would have a problem getting at minimum a first round pick, at least something like the Kapanen deal where they got, you know, the pick that became Rodion Amarov and Philip Hallander. If you're getting Dougie Hamilton and you can cop a couple extra assets like that, that is just, that is great team building there. And I'm just looking at the, uh, the armchair GM on cap friendly right now. 
So if you do replace Riley with Dougie Hamilton at 8.5, you lose Kerfoot to the expansion draft. You know, you probably trade Justin Hall just to clear a couple extra, couple extra dollars. The Leafs would have $13 million in cap and they would just basically need to find a top line left winger, a third line center, a third line right winger, you know, a, a sixth defenseman and a, and another winger. Like, so th- there, it is very possible to add Dougie Hamilton's salary when you consider that the Leafs would be losing Anderson's money, Riley's money, Hyman's money. So it's it's not a real pie-in-the-sky scenario to get Dougie Hamilton. And I think that would also just – like if you don't have as much depth in your lineup on forward, it sure hurts a lot less when you – I know I know that it, it might sound arrogant what you said, Lebda, about Muzzin and Hamilton being the best pair in the league, but I'm pretty sure people thought – that Muzzin and Dowdy was the best pair in the league. And it, you could argue that Jake Muzzin was the one carrying that. If you look at their numbers with and without each other, you throw an absolute stud like Dougie Hamilton in there. That honestly, depending on how Sandine develops, that that could be the best top four in the NHL. I've got a bit of a theory running for top four next year. And uh, I don't know. I um, I kind of have this idea where, you kind of you just have the three big defensemen. You've got your Brody, your Muzzin, and your um, Hamilton, and then you run the you run Dermot, Lilligren, Sandine as your bottom three defensemen, and you just kind of sub one of those young guys in with like either Muzzin or Brody or Hamilton, like whoever's on the whoever's not playing on that top pair together. So let's say it's Brody, and like I believe in TJ Brody enough that he can carry one of those guys, and if they're just elevate them into a top four role. And I think you sub them out a little bit. And hey, at the deadline, if you realize that, hey, none of these three guys can play in a top four role, I'm sure you can find some team that's willing to offload on a one-year deal. I'm not a huge Josh Manson fan, but like the Ducks get desperate. Maybe you pick him up if you have to get a guy. But I just think that like... Jake Muzzin has turned Justin Hall into a top four defenseman. And I'm not, I'm still not a hundred percent sold that Hall is a top four defenseman without Muzzin. And I just look at like a Dermot, a Sandine or a Lilligren in that role. Like you might get a top four defenseman out of them. And you just think about how your cap works out where if your bottom three defensemen are all making under a million bucks, maybe just a little bit more in Dermot's case, like think of all the cap you can allocate to your, your, um, your forward group, like the Leafs would be smiling. Like, yeah, I, I really like that idea. And, you know, you talked about that flexibility at the bottom too. You can, you know, it doesn't have to be set pairings that way too. You know, you play against a team where you need a little bit more defense. Boom. Travis Dermott's on that place with TJ Brody. Travis Dermott's good in his own end. He can get the puck out. He's, you know, a bit of a poor man's TJ Brody, in my opinion, or you play a team where you think you can really kind of push a, push the uh push the envelope offensively then you put sandine up in that and tj brody's there to cover you just tell sandine hey do what you do go play offensively um another name i really really like um kind of the thoughts of is jake mccabe from buffalo he had a he had a good year um this year in buffalo and then got hurt so there is a little bit of concern about the injury because it was I think he's out till january but i think his projected cap or yeah so if you have that kind of guy as a little insurance policy, it comes at a you know a cheap deal, one million times one type of deal. Like that's uh, that's another name I'd really look at. Then you have a lot of depth down there, a lot of different pieces. Travis Dermott, Rasmus Sandin aren't quite ready for that jump yet. You have a guy who's you know played a, quite a few NHL games and can jump up like that. So 
you know, the, I think the Leafs have a lot of options that they have in their system. And there is, you know, going to always be those names floating around free agency. Or even if you don't splash on free agency, there's always those names floating around the trade deadline that are available for either a cheap contract with no no term left after the year. Or a team like we saw this year is willing to retain 50% for a mid-level draft pick. Like, I, I think there's so much um, kind of positive um, pieces that they can add. That adding a guy like Dougie Hamilton and just solidifying those big three just makes so so much. Yeah, sense. that would that would turn the big four into a big five, as far as I'm concerned. He would he would definitely be one of our best players, and it like it's like the Tavares one where I know you can quibble about whether like some people will stupidly try to argue that it was a dumb signing, but it's just one of those no brainer signings where if the guy's willing to come to you, you take him. Like criticize John Tavares all you want. I'm pretty sure he's top 10 in goals and top 20 in points since we've got him. Like I know things haven't worked out around him, but that's a great move. And so would, so would Dougie Hamilton be, especially because you're putting that money on the back end and you're spreading it out. And I really do like the plan of trying, like you have Liljegren because Brody can play both sides. So you can try any of those three defensemen, Liljegren, Dermott, if he's not claimed um, or Sandine in that top four. And if none of them work, I, I think one of them most likely would, but you can either go with the McCabe road as, as a kind of a backup plan, or you can use those assets that you got from Morgan Riley, or at least some of them. And you can get a guy at the deadline, like, like Ekholm's a free agent after next year. Maybe you go after him and Josh Manson. There's plenty of guys. I haven't looked at them all, but there's definitely ways that you can work around that going forward. Now, Another thing the Leafs are going to have to work around this offseason will be the uh, the expansion draft. So I'm kind of wondering what, what you guys think the Leafs will do and who they will protect. So so the rules are basically the Leafs can protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or they can just protect eight skaters and a goalie. Noah, where do you think the, uh, where do you think the Leafs go with regards to protection this year, and who do you think Seattle actually ends up taking? I think they're going to go seven, three, and one. Um, I think the three guys that we're all kind of like in agreement on are probably the most likely to be claimed would be the Kerfoot, Hall, and uh, Dermot. I think those are the kind of the, I can't really see unless there's a trade the Leafs make and someone else is available. I just think that those three are the most likely to Seattle. And I think out of those three on the trade market, Kerfoot has the most value. So I think you just protect him so that you don't have to, um, you, you like keep the most value possible. So it really just comes down to Hall and Dermott for me. And I'm kind of torn because I hear Seattle, like they, they've been talking about it with Elliot Friedman saying like they want to keep costs down and have the most amount of cap space they can. And so that in my head leads me to Travis Dermott, but I'm at a point with Travis Dermott where I just think he needs a role, like a solidified role in a top four position where he gets like two seasons where they're like, no, you don't have to worry about being scratched or move down the lineup. You're guaranteed in the top four. Go to somewhere like Detroit, no pressure at all, and then grow into a top four defenseman. And I just look at the options Seattle has with claiming defensemen, and I'm like, Travis Dermott's not one of the top four guys available. So I don't know if he gets that position. So if you're trying to win next year, like Justin Hall, just plug him into your lineup. He can play on kind of the bottom two pairs. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense for Seattle. So if I was Seattle, I'd take Hall just because I think he, if you're trying to win the like next year, which I think they are going to have enough guys, they're going to claim that they might have a pretty competitive lineup, especially in a bad Pacific uh, division. I'd go for Hall, but if they believe in Dermot, and I know they're analytics heavy, so 
you might get Dermot and plug him into the top four and see what happens. And I just feel like Hall makes the most sense for them to claim. And if I'm the Leafs, I kind of want them to take Hall because he makes uh, the most cap. And I feel like you just kind of clear that 2 million and it uh, kind of forces them to play a couple of their young guys, which they haven't really done in the last little bit, given the keys to these young guys. Yeah, I think I think you pretty much hit it right on the head there. Um, I don't think the Leafs are too mad about Justin Hall getting claimed. I think they're probably a little bit more upset about Travis Dermott just because of his age. And I think there is a little bit more to Travis Dermott's game. Um, If I'm Seattle and he's available, I'm definitely really thinking about Alex Kerfoot. Again, I don't know if he will be left available, but I just think that we saw Alex Kerfoot in these playoffs step up. And I think Alex Kerfoot could really play a role in a team, you know, potentially like Seattle, depending on who else they get and how else their roster looks. Just being a little bit of like a, uh, not maybe not quite a William Carlson because that was just a crazy scenario, but a guy who can just contribute in that top six and bring a little bit more value than he is contributing on his current team. So uh, I think Seattle, you know, when it does come to the Leafs, I think it's just going to matter on who else they've picked up from other teams and what else they're kind of looking at. Because if you are lacking maybe a top six left winger somewhere, third line center, maybe a second line center on a, on a poor team, then you're going Alex Kerfoot. If you're just trying to round out your defense, have a guy like Justin Hall, who's proven he can play top four minutes with another good defender. I think Jake Muzzin obviously has a lot to do with that, but you know, the, he, he was there, he was playing top four minutes, whether he was playing them super well, it's left to, you know, up for debate, I guess I should say, but I think it's going to come down to kind of those two in my mind. Another guy that could maybe sneak in is Pierre Engvall, but I don't think that would be very smart from Seattle's standpoint. It's just one of those kind of creeping names that I've seen, but but yeah, I think it's just going to come down to who else they can get from other teams and whether they need a, you know, a little bit of a, a gap defender in Justin Hall, or if they need a little bit of a guy who's, you know, typically a third line player, but could potentially produce on a first line if they have some other nice pieces up there. Yeah, that's actually, I actually didn't think about, I, I always for some reason thought the Leafs were just going to do the eight skaters model because they don't have too, too many guys to protect. But if you think about the defensemen outside of Riley Muzzin and Brody, I don't know if there's a guy that you do value more as, as the Toronto Maple Leafs than Alex Kerfoot. So even if out of those seven forwards, like you, if you are doing the seven forwards and three defensemen alignment, you can even protect Pierre Engvall if you want to. And given what he's shown, I, I would actually be okay with that because if you look at the forwards we'd have to protect, obviously you have Marner, Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Kerfoot, that's five. And then your other two options could be Engvall, Mikheyev. Like it's pretty slim pickings there. So basically if, if you're in that scenario, you're leaving it between Justin Hall and Travis Dermott for, for Seattle. And if I'm Seattle, I think, I think the NHL GMs are going to be a bit smarter this time around. They're not going to do them any Jonathan Marcheseau level level favors or anything like that. So I don't know if Seattle's going to be quite as competitive. Like definitely not going to be as competitive as Vegas. I don't even I don't even know if they're going to be really competitive for a playoff spot. But who knows? They they very well could be. So it, it does kind of depend what route they're going because I think if you're looking at next year, Justin Hall is probably the safer bet to make you a good team. But if I'm if I'm Seattle, I know I'm not winning the cup next year. I'm probably going with Travis Dermott and hoping he can be like a lighter version of Shea Theodore or something like that, where it's a guy who hasn't gotten the opportunity at his own team. But if you give him those steady top four minutes, like you said, no, you said he could do it on Detroit. He could also do it on Seattle. Like he could go and he could play those minutes 
and sink or swim. He, you might end up failing. Worst case, Ontario, you, you know, you got yourself uh, probably a number six defenseman in Hall or in Dermott. But, but Justin Hall, I think he is, like you said, Lebda, kind of a product of Jake Muzzin. So I think he kind of tops out as a four or five defenseman. Whereas Travis Dermott, he, he could be a solid second pairing guy for you. Although I do have my doubts, given what I've seen from him at times, his, his gap control is really good. If he can, you know, refine those offensive skills a little bit, maybe develop a bit more as a penalty killer, there, there definitely could be some value there for Seattle. All right, Noah. So now that we've discussed everything that we would like to see happen, I want to know what do you think will happen? What are you, what are the kind of the moves that you're expecting Kyle Dubas to make this offseason? And to follow up on that, what are you expecting from the Leafs next year? Do you think they're going to be improved? Do you believe in them to win around? All all of that good stuff. Yeah, so the big thing that I've been trying to follow is um, this Chris Johnson rumor. So he was on uh, the Steve Dangle podcast and he was talking about one big name and a big promise player who he could see coming. And um, there was a bunch of um, rules to it. So he wasn't in the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. He plays for a U.S. team and has multiple years left on his deal. And so I guess Twitter kind of threw around a bunch of names. And the one I stood out that stood out to me was a guy like Konechny. I think if you could get him like a hometown kid, like you could move some pieces around. I've been floating the idea of, I'm not sure if Philly wants Riley, Riley plus an extension. But if you're looking at this is kind of the era of the three team trade, if you're moving Riley to X team and connect me to the Leafs and then X team sends a bunch of futures or the player that Philly wants over to um, to them. Like, I think there's a scenario where they do that. Um, But he went into further detail. I don't know how many of you guys listen to the Leaf report, but there was a quote where he furthered it and he said, I don't want to set off any fire alarms, but I'm still resolute that there's one guy I think they're trading for this offseason. And so I don't really know if there's anyone more plugged into the Leafs than Chris Johnson. So he's been kind of pushing this one guy. I think it makes sense if it's a forward. Um, That one left wing spot beside Matthews and Marner looks like it could really use a player. And I think that they'll go after someone. Um, I think Hamilton's a possibility. If they don't bring him in, I think that, we're, they're fine going with Riley for next season and you just kind of tinker around a little bit more. But I think with the subtraction of Hyman kind of for sure, you tinker around in the bottom six. I wouldn't mind bringing Felino back. There was a couple rumors that he might look to come back. He sounds like he was a little frustrated with the loss and that he was injured for it. So maybe look to bring him back on a cheap deal. Um, and like worst case scenario, you're not able to make the trades and get that top line guy and you kind of run it back with a similar team. I wouldn't be shocked if you grab a three to $4 million player in free agency, one of the guy like Tatar or someone in that role and bring them in and maybe Felino on the third line. And you'd have a pretty good team. Like, I don't think they need to do a whole ton. It's not like a year where you're like, oh, they need to change everything. Like if they brought most of the same team back next year, I wouldn't be shocked if they were still pretty good. So if we're talking predictions for next season and kind of where they fit in the standings, they're back in the Atlantic, so I say probably in that second, third spot. Um, Tampa's going to lose a lot of guys this year. I think Boston might take a step back, so they might sneak into that second spot, but those are going to be some good teams. And I'm not a huge fan of Florida and their goaltending. I feel like kind of like Bob and a rookie. I don't know if they're going to be able to really compete. So I guess that's the Atlantic. And then there's Montreal, but like 
I don't know if Montreal is a regular season team and they're going to lose a couple of guys this year. So who knows? They might even miss next year. And we look like even the Leafs look like even uh, bigger idiots losing to a team that doesn't make the playoffs next year. So that's kind of what I do. Like you could kind of stay the course and you'd be pretty good. But I think there's going to be some moves this year where we're talking about them for weeks afterwards. Like, holy, this is a big player or something like that. Yeah, I think the Leafs absolutely have to get a left winger. I have heard those rumors. Travis Konechny is a name that even aside from that rumor, I've heard a ton of stuff just floating around just in trades in general. Um, I think that'd be a really nice fit. Another guy who, you know, predominantly plays the wing, but can play the center ice position if you need him to. So again, adds just a little bit more to the Leafs. Um, I think you mentioned Thomas Tatar. That's like my number one target. I just think the fact that he hasn't been playing for Montreal in, in these playoffs is one insane, but two, it's just going to plummet his value. And I, I, honestly, I do, I don't see the guy getting any more than 4 million. I bet you he's a lot closer to 3 million on a one, maybe two year deal. And if you can get that guy, like all his stats this year were just fantastic. Like he's such a good hockey player that that fit on that left one, um, left wing with Matthews and Marner, even on the Tavares line just adds a dynamic element that you don't have at a price that's so affordable. He's an upgrade on Zach Hyman. There's no, there's no doubt about that in my mind. He's going to come at a cheaper price for left years or less years. So I think that's a big thing, but I mean, if they make a big splash on the trade market, maybe they don't really look at that, but I I think that's a really value piece. Another thing I am kind of curious about is what they're going to do with that backup goaltender solution. Uh, I I think they kind of have to roll with that kind of one AB Jack Campbell answered a lot of questions this year. He was not even close to a reason why we lost in the playoffs. He was fantastic in the regular season. He got a heavy workload, but again, it's kind of the way the new NHL's trending towards where you need two good goaltenders in the regular season and you potentially even need two good goaltenders in the, in the regular season. And, you know, the Leafs don't have a ton of cap space, but they have enough. So I'm looking at names like Linus Allmark, Jonathan Bernier, maybe even Antti Ranta as guys who were really, really good goaltenders this year that should be available one for not a lot of term and two, not a ton of money. Peter Mrazek is potentially another name available. Like there's lots of ways to kind of fill out that position. So, that's kind of what I see the Leafs doing. Someone to play on that Austin Matthews line. Hopefully Kyle Dubas recognize that if we're going to keep Mitch Marner and we don't move him, we need a goal scorer on that line. Boom. Thomas Tatar fits that. Even Jaden Schwartz could, uh, could potentially fit that role. Um, he'd probably be a little bit more expensive. His value probably hasn't plummeted as much. Um, and then, yeah, backup goaltender, six defenseman. And I mean, if you add those things, even if you don't, you know, get one of those kind of big names, like, like we just mentioned in a trade or, or UFA, even if you run it back, but just fill your roster with nice pieces that are good players. I have all the faith in the world for Kyle Dubas to be able to, you know, find a couple of bottom six or bottom defenseman cheap deals that are going to really provide for us. Then, yeah, I, I don't like the Leafs aren't going to miss the playoffs next year in my mind, as long as they, you know, fill those gaps correctly. As far as, you know, the Atlantic, you kind of mentioned that all, all the teams that are were really good this year and that should be really good again next year, they, they do have some question marks around them, uh, as do the Leafs. But, uh, I mean, Tampa Bay, cap crunch, who knows what happens there. Florida, their goaltending is sketchy. I think they probably overperformed a little bit this year too. Now they are getting Aaron Ekblad back at some point. So, you know, they are adding a little bit more than they had all of this year. But, again the Leafs should be able to beat them. So I really do see the Leafs really slotting into that second place. 
We'll see who finishes third. If we face another, you know, Boston team again, I think they're going to take a step back. They might sign Taylor Hall in the offseason, which will help them out, but they are aging. Eventually, Patrice Bergeron is going to fall off. Like, he's got to do it at some point. He hasn't done it yet, which is, you know, not great for us, but great for him. But he's got to take a step back eventually. So hopefully that happens next year. And, you know, if they finish third, it is what it is. But I do see the Leafs kind of sliding into that second spot. I mean, Manz is 36, right? He's got to come down at some point. I'm just... I've told myself that for like four years though, and he hasn't done it. So I'm, it's kind of like the Leafs, Patrice Bergeron declining is kind of like the Leafs winning a playoff round. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, as far as all the things you guys said, I completely agree. Obviously, number one thing for me, get Dougie Hamilton. Just, just do it. If you can do that, work, work out the rest of the things around it. And, and like we've talked about earlier, there are, there are ways to fill out the roster while adding a salary like that. Uh, the key is for me getting Dougie, and then being able to kind of maintain that cap flexibility where you're still, you know, you got that $12, 13000000 million to kind of fill five to six spots where you get that backup goalie like a Mrazek or someone for $2.5 million. You get a Thomas Tatar because Dominique Ducharme, for whatever reason, decided not to play him in the playoffs. You can probably get him three, three, three and a half million, something like that. There's going to be deals out there, especially in a COVID world where the Leafs can take advantage of that. So if they are able to clear that space, I actually do have faith in them as a regular season team to probably drop off less than those other teams that we talked about. The only, the only real question marks that you would have would be, is Tavares going to age? Is Muzzin going to age? Is Brody going to age? Other than that, all of our guys are either in their primes or getting better. Like you could, it wouldn't be a surprise for Matthews Marner or Nylander to even take another level next year or, you know, a Nick Robertson, Erasmus Sandin. So there's plenty of room for us to improve in the regular season. Just, just win in the playoffs, please. Though that's like whatever they do in the regular season doesn't matter to me. They Matthews could get 150 goals, Marner could get 238 assists, the Leafs could get 164 points in the regular season, and I'd still pick their opponent in the first round. Just kidding, I'd probably pick him at that point. But you guys know what I mean. So with that said, Noah, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, so we've agreed Leafs uh, 2021 Stanley Cup champions, or? 2022 2022 is that what did i say wrong oh man time's going man these COVID times we never know we never know what year it is it could be 2038 for all i know but but i am in uh i am in agreement with you we are we're ready to plan the parade i'm i'm getting over the depression exactly you really helped me with that today oh thank you it was nice talking to you guys eh Man, it's been a pleasure. Do you have anything, uh, anything you want to plug? At least you know, let let the folks know what your what your Twitter handle oh, is and some. My Twitter is uh, at Noah underscore uh, Banks, but it's B A N X, so at Noah underscore Banks. So follow me for bad tweets about the Leafs, and uh, we can uh, we can discuss how uh, which thirteenth forward or can uh, can squeak into the lineup by preseason. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Definitely go follow them. This, uh, this was an absolute pleasure, uh, of a podcast to record. So a big shout out to you for coming on, giving us a hand. And, you know, we're always down to talk Leafs. So it's always nice to have, uh, another guest on that's as passionate as we are and, you know, as crazy as we are thinking that they're going to come back as a different team next year. So yeah, big thanks to you and, uh, big thanks to everyone listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys <laughs> next time. Peace.